Welcome to Winning Uglier with Brad Gilbert. What up, Buck? Nice to see that you look so refreshed after the, the move and back hitting some balls. I've been playing this week a lot. The courts are absolutely packed. Only time I could get a court this morning, 8 a.m. They got a little condensed hours. Normally, the racket club is open from like, you know, maybe first ball you can hit at 6 and hit till 9. So they're open from like 8 to 6. And only time right now you can get a court is 8 a.m. People are realizing that so many things are closed and the social distancing for tennis is a good thing for getting some exercise. So nice to be back out on the courts. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing too. And, and you know, we've been talking about this a little bit the last couple months. Ever since things have started to reopen, at least from an outdoor activity standpoint, I, I've never seen tennis courts this packed in my lifetime, whether it's the park courts or the club courts, just because it is such a, a good social distancing activity. I mean, I'm actually very hopeful that this is one minor upside to everything else that's, you know, been so tough to deal with is that actually... This will get a lot more people out there on the courts, get new people in, involved in playing the sport that wouldn't have played otherwise, because it is just a great a great exercise, great outlet, and obviously sport of a lifetime, as they say. Totally agree. Normally, if you know, if I call the club, you know, get a court a few hours from now, hey, I'm looking three three days out, and they said, no, only thing we got is like eight to nine, you know, maybe we could work something, but managing my schedule here, I'd, I'd get in a court. And how about... We are 20 days away from the U.S. Open starting and about 10 days away from the Cincinnati, which is the Western and Southern, which has moved to the Open, where they're creating the little mini bubble. So that adds to the excitement of the summer. We're actually going to get some, you know, pro tennis and everybody's happy to be back on the courts. I couldn't agree with you more. It is all starting to, to come together a little bit. I am, you know, obviously very hopeful, you know, no setbacks U.S. Open wise and yeah, we're recording this on uh, a Tuesday, so yeah, 20 days away, and got the lead-in tournament. We're all pretty pretty pumped if they can get it going in, in a safe and controlled environment. So, topic of the week, we're going to call it Managing Your Game. And I just wanted to see, what, what does managing your game mean to you, Dad? You know, I love that term. For most people... And myself, anybody, it's not overplaying, you know, when you start. It's working into a good rhythm, whether or not it's practice or a match. Putting serves and returns in the play. Building a little momentum. And the killer is when you get stretched, pulling the triggers on the 1 in 20. You're in a bad position and you're going for winners when you should play a little defense. And then conversely, when you're in the center of the court, you got a fairly easy ball on the first ball. You don't want to go after it because, ooh, I don't want to miss on the first ball, but maybe that that's the ball you need to go after. But manage yourself so often from serves and returns, and I call just not getting those big eyes. You're in the corner and you're going for that you know miraculous winner that you're not going to make. Yeah, now that you say that, I, I kind of think about it and... It goes back to playing that numbers game, playing the numbers to put yourself in the best chance of, you know, of succeeding. In addition to talking about managing your game, we got another good round of Q&A. 
going to talk a little bit about coming back from injuries, not playing down when your opponent's a little bit of a lower level, and figuring out how to mentally rebound after a, a tough a tough collapse. So that that's going to be the Q and A. First, we're going to get into that discussion and uh, on managing your game. Buck been working this week with a solid 4.0 player. He's so keen and he's really in good shape for his age. He's so eager to get better. The shot we're really trying to manage. You know, sometimes one person's easy shot is another person's difficult shot. Another person's difficult shot is an easy shot. The shot that really troubles him most is forehands down the middle of the court around the service line. And, and you go ding, ding, ding. That, in theory, that, that shouldn't be a difficult shot. But a lot of people on that shot, not sure what to do. And, and for this player, there's a litany of things that go wrong. He sometimes takes a step back. You know, he lunges at it. You know, gets too close to it. But he just, and more than anything, he'll swing not to miss it. And then you don't get racket head speed. And I, so we've been working, you know, three, four times on just muscle memory, having a shot that you can produce for now. Forehand cross, where they're not deep down the middle, just something that you can make. And then it's almost like a saying, moving along. It's not a shot that all of a sudden somebody knows that, geez, if I just hit the ball back down the middle to him, he's going to fall apart. So we're really trying to manage that shot. And then eventually, obviously, be able to hit it and do some more things to where he can expand his game. But for now, that shot, you know, working on the consistency of being able to reproduce kind of the same racket head swing and just be able to make a, a nice makeable ball back cross court. It's interesting because you can talk about managing specific shots as sort of like a subset. And then you can get into once you once you feel comfortable with how, how you're managing specific shots, then you can start to talk about managing your game as a whole and understanding your strengths and weaknesses. You know, I mean, this player happens, you know, he gets two or three paces away from the center of the court, the forehand's better because all of a sudden he reacts and, and kind of just naturally the swing produces a bit better. And I, I just feel like, you know, when the shot, all of a sudden you start to stress about it, you kind of forget about how you're going to manage it. Maybe you take a, a few cuts at it, you make one or two, but if you miss seven, I say that's minus five. And so a lot of people don't quite understand the plus minus in managing a shot and what makes it why I should manage it. I think there's this aspect of getting a little bit too juiced up, giving almost too much adrenaline. Sometimes it, whether it's a, a, pra a practice or, or, or a match, especially matches, but people will just get really amped up, feel that the, the, the nerves sort of can create that, which can be a good thing. It can be a boost, but then it can also hurt you where you start overhitting, going for a little bit too much, and you don't even really realize you're doing it just because you got that little extra, you know, flow going. So I, I know you had a, a story about uh, another guy you worked with a little a little further back about that one. About seven, eight years ago, when we used to live in Marin, I started working with a guy, great guy. He, he just retired maybe six months before, CEO of a big company here in California. So he's used to managing a lot of people. I was going to say, he, he knows what he's doing on a man management standpoint, normally speaking. Yeah, absolutely. So started taking a few lessons and he started explaining to me that he joined this place where he lives at. They have a Wednesday night game, like about 3-5 level. There's about eight players that play. And 
you know, really wanted to to make a better go of what he was doing there. He said he was working on the ball machine, working with a couple of pros. Then he'd go and play, struggle. So we did about five, six lessons. And, and the thing that instantly I noticed we need to work on, putting more serves, putting more returns in play, and making better decisions on, on shot selection. So each time... We, you know, we have a good hour and a half, try to start to work on little things to get him ready for his Wednesday night game. And I'd say, how'd it go? Like crap. Just double faulting a lot, missing a lot of returns. And, you know, just, it went south right away. And and you can see he's a little down. So we have a couple more good sessions. And then each time, how'd it go? And then just, it was almost like, no, it's not getting any better. So finally, after about five, six lessons, you know, I, I'm confused myself. Why things look like they're getting a little better when we're going through our practice and doing things. And he says, well, why don't you come watch me play, you know, on Wednesday night, but maybe not a good idea if somebody sees you. So maybe like, you know, can you come and kind of like hide or like kind of sneak somewhere where nobody sees you? <laughs> like laughing about it, like, sure. So I go to the Wednesday game about five o'clock and I'm like, hopefully I'm not going to get noticed here because I've been to this club before and stuff. So I, I pick a pretty good hiding place. I start watching. He's playing singles first. He's going to play singles and doubles. And what I instantly noticed, a lot of the things that we worked on, especially the serve, you know, and I, and I say, put a working serve in play on your first serve so you don't have to worry about your second serve, 50 you know, for percent, maybe 60%. But your whole goal is make two, three in a row, especially when warming up, get a little rhythm. So instantly I notice he's going big on his first serve flat, probably because he's a little amped up. And his second serve, he's going like first serve again. It's like first serve, first serve. And it's like, Whoa, okay, so that I now I see why we're getting double fault, double fault, double fault to start a service game. And of course, you're going to be stressed if you're giving away three points. And he's doing the same on returns. Decent first serve comes at him and just taking too big of a cut. And I say, take your aim on returns down the middle. Take your serve when starting out down the middle. You know, get into a rhythm and, and get a little confidence. And, and I would tell him afterwards, it's like the points that you were actually getting in, then you would play okay. You were probably winning 60, 70 of the percent of the points if you got your server return in play. But when you don't make any serves and returns, it just puts so much pressure every time that you do get in a point. I, I can't stress enough that working your way into a rhythm, especially on the serve, it just makes such a big difference if you come out firing too hard on your serve, you're missing it. And then you got to try to pull back after that. And, and it's like find a rhythm that's not there to begin with. Whereas if you start slow, ease your way into the swing, you know, wait till it feels comfortable. Then, you know, and you get a few makes in a row, as you were saying, then that's when it becomes way easier to pick up the pace a little bit more. And then, you know, by a few games in, then all of a sudden, maybe then you can really let the serve go. To quote my good buddy, Killer Cahill, you know, he, he likes it, this expression a lot the working serve. What is your working serve? For let's say a serve and volley or like, you gotta be able to make it 75% of the time minimum so you could come in and make your first volley. A working serve to me is one that you can put in play. If you're a 4-0, 
you can make this thing 75. It's not, a, you're not trying to win the point. You're not trying to lose the point. You're trying to start the point. Big target. If you make two or three, part of me, you know, because you know, I'm crazy, that managing then becomes managing the score. If, if I get up 30 love or 40 love in a game, then maybe I can take a little more risk on my serve. And, and a lot of times too, way too small of an aim. So they, they hit a pretty decent first serve, but it's going a, you know eight inches wide, a foot long. Same thing on second serve. Don't try to go wide. Try to go big to the back. That's why I say go safe, big target. And then that takes me to where all of a sudden when you know players get a little bit stretched, they go for winners when they shouldn't. And then when the ball is down the middle, it's like, ooh, I don't know if I want to go for that winner because I don't want to miss. And then speaking of your own game, what did you try to do with your backhand to manage that shot? So we talked about this a few weeks ago. When I learned to hit over my backhand when I was 18, instantly the shot started to get a lot better. But... And as my results got better too, I, I felt like I started to understand and learn about managing myself at 18 that I know the shot is really solid now. I can go backhand cross, but pretty much for the rest of my playing career, I resisted, you know, you'd never see me uncork a Stan or a Dominique team or Fed rip a backhand up the line. I just played safe and it was like a little bit of a left jab. I, I didn't take risk on it. I didn't miss it. And so that was my managing to set up my forehand. Maybe I could have taken some risk, but I didn't want to litter up the stat sheet with that shot. And I do feel like that's how you understand your strength and weakness. Can I be or avoid the plus minus? Some people think if I had two good backhands, I missed seven you know, but I hit two good ones. Like in simple math, that's minus five. So going for it, if, if it's a two-seven ratio to something good happening, last I checked, hmm, lousy. It's so key understanding the strengths and weaknesses uh, again. And I think what it comes down to sometimes is just accepting the weaknesses and being honest with yourself. And that doesn't mean that, you know, if you have a weakness, you shouldn't work on improving it. But I think you also don't want to don't want to fixate on it to the point where it sort of brings the rest of your game down. And I think in the case of your, of your backhand where you said, OK, I, you just accepted that I'm going to play solid on it. I'm not going to let it hurt me. You know, I'm just going to going to play cross. I'm going to play the percentages and then you can really focus on using, you know, your, your forehand and using your movement and using the best parts of your game. Not to mention, I think sometimes when people get so fixated on their weaknesses, it takes their mind off of what their opponents uh, are, are doing. And that would happen to me on my back end sometimes where I'd get so into my head about why is the swing feeling so tight today that I'd, you know, I'd stop thinking about strategy and it, it could sort of cloud my judgment. So it's just so crucial to be able to feel comfortable with, with your weaknesses understand them, of course, work to improve them, but not to the point where it's it's taking over your game or your thought process. You know, it's funny is I've lost, I've asked quite a few pros that, that I've worked with about their strengths and weaknesses. And, and it's funny about their weakness, probably what makes them good. A lot of times that they'll overestimate it. And a lot of club players, when I ask them too, that a shot that, that maybe I think that 
certainly needs to be managed, they think is really good. But the numbers won't tell you that. And I do think that learning to be honest with yourself. Okay, if the serve can be an issue, how, how are we going to figure out and work on a little bit that one, two, three rhythm that we can start off, you know, first couple of service games, I'm putting serves in play. I'm not going to lose on serves and returns. And then let's go from there. It's like building momentum, you know, and when you build momentum, it's like making two layups in basketball. All of a sudden, then you maybe you can go back and shoot a three. You know, it's just getting a little bit of coffee. Got another good set of questions. And this one actually, I think, kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about seeing way more people out there on the courts than you would normally. Brian from Toronto says, I'm a musician by trade. So since I can't tour or play any festivals this summer, my tennis game has never been better, on the other hand. He's getting more time on the exactly, courts. Exactly, more time on the courts. He says, I'm a 4-5 player playing in a fairly competitive ladder. How do I make sure I play my game when I'm playing someone who's a less skilled player? Whenever I play 5-0 players, I rise to the occasion and I play big, clean, and fight hard. But whenever I play a 3-5 or a 4-0, I sink to their level and I hit sloppier slices and doesn't have confidence in the forehand so how does he avoid sinking his level interesting question you know I, I hear this a lot from junior players that it's so easy to play up or I play looser and so whether or not you're a 4-0 4-5 any of these when you play down a level everybody thinks and says you know why, why am I sinking and dropping to their level first don't tell yourself that they're that level but maybe it's a good opportunity to do something or work on something. You know, maybe I'm going to come forward a little more. Or maybe I'm going to try and, and use my slice. Or maybe I'm going to try and be a little more aggressive off returns. Do some things differently. It's almost like a working practice. But first and foremost, don't tell yourself that I'm a 5-0 and he's a 3-5. And it's like he's beneath me. And, so, and, and then you get tight. Use the opportunity to do some things out there to enhance your game to when you are going to be playing up. Play loose. Play relaxed. You are the better player, but it's still a good opportunity to work on things. Yeah, I think that's the sort of the age-old push-and-pull struggle against playing up to a higher level or, or playing down to a slightly lower level is when you play against better competition you feel like you can play loose because you feel like you have a little less to, to lose. And, and conversely, you feel that pressure that you're like supposed to win when you're playing someone that's a little bit of a lower level. But I think I, I totally agree with what you said. It's best to just get that thought out of your head and not focus too much on the level and focus on what you can work on. When I first turned pro and a lot of guys that I knew and, you know, they were playing, it's the numbers game that like, I'll be okay when I'm playing this guy 15 and they're panicked when they're playing somebody 97 or I don't want to lose somebody ranked below me that's 82. Yeah, and it happens at every level. And so I'm that guy that like, okay, if I'm, I'm 15, I'm playing 82, sign me up. I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm comfortable playing somebody that I feel like I should beat because I'm not going to panic or stress about the outcome of possibly losing to that person in bad luck. I'm going to think about what 
matches up well. And I, I was good at beating people below me. And also, too, when you play somebody below you like that, relish it. Say, okay, this is a good opportunity for me today. Get a win and work on my game. Next question. And I like this one a lot. I actually think there's a potential for a whole show uh, uh, episode on, on this idea. But Eddie is looking for advice on how to mentally come back from an injury. He says, the doctors have cleared me to come back to tennis. X-rays are okay. MRI is okay. But in my mind, I'm not 100% confident my body will hold up. Any tips on how to get over the mental hurdle and just show up at the club? Complexed. I mean, because... Yeah, and I've, I've been there. I've been there on this one. And I've been there. Everybody's been there. And the hardest thing sometimes is self-doubt. And self-doubt sometimes comes from being back in the training room and, and rehabbing. You know, if I, I was on a court, believe it or not, once playing in this pro-am. Guy tells me in the warm-up, I'm just coming back after 14 months, tearing my Achilles. It's feeling better, but this is my first big event back. Okay, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if he should have said that, you know. And sure enough, first point, he tore the other Achilles. No. I swear to God, I was the one of the... first point? First oh point. Oh, you, you know, I'm at the net. He's serving because I said, you want me to serve? He goes, no, I, I want to serve. And tore it. I don't know if this is going to help Eddie no, on his road to recovery, but, by the way. <laughs> but part of it is, okay, I'm going to just say this. I didn't, sorry about the, the, the gory details. When you start back, it's building bricks. You know, you know, too many players sometimes come back and go to, you know, listen, 45 minutes, an hour, hour 10. You know, wait a little bit till you build, you know, strength and confidence and then start playing matches. Don't start playing maybe matches before you're physically and mentally ready. Yeah, because you had ankle surgery, was it in 88? And then coming back the year after in 89, you had the best year of your career. So I was just wondering, I mean, I, I'm sure it was a little bit of that. That was your thought process. But what was that like for you? So that was the only time in my career that I had an extended injury, eight months. And the first two months I came back, I mean, I posted probably my worst results. And I'm not sure that I was losing to my opponent other than I was losing to myself because you, you have self, you know, doubt and, you know, geez, I'm not quite, you know, ready and, you know, or maybe you're making excuses and there's a lot of things going on. But the biggest thing is, is the trust. You Maybe you don't quite trust your movement and things, but I had this great trainer and Mark Grabo and Jibo, you said, listen, you're going to be fine. Just trust the process. Keep working. And if it doesn't happen this week or next week, if you keep working, you'll put yourself in the position that maybe six or eight weeks it'll happen. And I think just hearing that makes you relax. So what he, what I'm telling you is, is that take your time, build your base. It might take you a bit of time to get to back to where you were, but just the fact that you're back usually is a good starting point. And hopefully every week you can increase a little bit. Absolutely. Now, Reed, who he gears up for a tournament held every summer at his clay court club. We love clay tennis, by I the love way. Clay, we, yes. He had, he had a doubles match recently where he said the serve and errors really let him down. And he asks, 
How do you rebound quickly after totally collapsing, playing awful in a meaningful match? My confidence and belief were basically destroyed in an hour of tennis. Harsh, harsh stuff. Any suggestions on how to reset and rebound quickly? So the Azu would say straight down the gurgler. So that day went down the garbage. So sometimes I, I say five times a year, you can go out and beat anybody. Five times a year, you probably going to go out and lose to anybody. Yeah, that was one of those five times. Yeah. Okay. And the rest are what you got to learn how to manage and compete. So I'd like to say short-term memory loss, Buck. You got to let it go. And then when you go and practice the next day, don't just work on that one shot because, okay, work on it a little bit, or but work on a few things. And sometimes you got to laugh about it. Put on a good music song. You know, for me, putting on a little bit of Petty. But, <laughs> I think that's the third Petty reference. Oh, already. yeah. yeah we we got to keep, keep the Petty going. Yeah. And, and so that's a simple way or, you know, laugh about it. Tell yourself, okay, I was so bad. There's no way I'm going to be this bad next week. I'm going to be better. But just little things. But what you don't want to tell yourself is, you know what? This is normal. I'm going to suck next week as well. You know, you can talk yourself into one loss being three, four weeks. And so it's how you approach it mentally the next week. And I'd like to say just short-term memory loss. And you know what the most important thing to focus on the next time you're back out there? Just compete. Have fun. Compete. Try to find a way. Just to echo what you were saying, there's a term out there called inferiority complex. And that's what you don't want to develop is have these thoughts these negative thoughts turn into a complex where, where you feel like I'm always going to, you know, have these collapses. That's not the thought you want in your head. You can, you can say, okay, I, my game was off that day and you know, that's just, that's just how it was. And it, it, it happens. But once it turns into a, a complex of not really believing in yourself that you're going to get it done under pressure then that's where, then that's where you have a big problem. One Brutal loss. You know, you surf for the match, you had three, four match points. Everybody does it. The thing what you want to avoid more than anything at all levels is willing yourself to lose next week. The next week, that one loss becomes four losses. It happens so often. Believe me, even at the highest level in pro tennis, you will it. And you you start talking negatively outside of tennis, about tennis. And it's like, you know what? That was one tough beat, but it's all about next week and having a good attitude to finding a solution to the reason why you love playing this game is competing. You're not, not to, not to play shrink here, but you're not who you are on your worst day. It's just, it was a blip. Move on. This one I thought was a, was a pretty funny, interesting question. David says, if I win a sloppy match, it sure as hell feels better than losing a sloppy match, but it does still doesn't feel good. And this is actually where I, I emailed him. I told him, see the Perfection Trap episode. But he says, it still doesn't feel good. It feels more like relief, like I don't deserve that evening's adult beverage. And yet, if I lose a tough, tactically clean one and can identify points where I elevated areas of tweaking, I'm okay with my pouring myself a nice single malt says, I'm not going to rhetorically ask the author of Winning Ugly if you favor winning over getting in the zone. Of course you do. But am I, but I am interested in how you get in the zone and how you stay in the zone. 
Well, why would you rob yourself the adult beverage? You had to win. Okay. There's a lot of ways to look at things. And looking at it as a sloppy, you know what? Sometimes matches, let's say you guys are both a little bit sloppy, but you found a way. Then there's a way to be playing the next round in the tournament and working on things. And sometimes your opponent's playing a lot better. You play better, but you don't find the solution. You you play better and you do. That's what competing is all about for me. And having the ability like to, to let go what happened. For me, believe it or not, if I win two or three sloppy matches, I gain confidence. So many people talk themselves into the negativity of like, my game is so bad, it's, it's going to come back because you're magnifying it more. Winning sloppy. Like if you win, so often I'll look at stats of match. Guy wins or lady wins, 6-4, six, 6-4. Four, six, four, and it's two points difference, three points difference. It's not like, you know, you ask a kid, you know, if you win 6-4, six, 6-4, four, six, four, and they think they won 20 points more. They got to win 65% of the points. A lot of matches, you win 51, 52% of the points, you win the match. Uh, the, the odd time you you can win 15, 20 more points in a match and lose. Roddick did that 2004 Open. I still remember that. Lost to Johansson. Won 20-something more points and lost to Johansson in five. It happens. But take a sloppy win and learn from it. Maybe there's something underlying that you actually did better than you thought. Yeah, I think sometimes people just go with that initial gut reaction of they remember one or two shots that they hit bad and they're not really thinking about the whole match as, as, as a work and they're probably remembering the low lights o- over the highlights. One of my all-time pet peeves is when asking a player, let's say I didn't see the match, how did it go? And I played like crap and, and that's all they'll say. You know, it's, I was terrible. Or he, he was really good. It, it, nothing specifically about the match. And I understand the, the score result. You know, but sloppy like winning ugly can be a beautiful thing because it's finding a solution it's competing and tomorrow opponent might not have any type of play that this match was that you just played and as far as the getting in the zone thing goes it's almost like i feel like you you just sort of described it that that is your zone that focus on on competing i mean wouldn't you say that focus on on finding ways to to make it work when, when things aren't aren't perfect. Not very often that I can tell you honestly that I got in the zone. I was in some. Yeah, I, I was going to say I, that's I, not that's not your mantra. Okay, I I definitely remember one time it happening, and I was confused by it. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I've heard this. <laughs> no, go on. I believe it was 1991 San Francisco Open. It was like. A 12 o'clock semifinal. I'm playing Andre. Fast indoor court. And in the warm-up... Just, I... just a quick pause, too. This is, I mean, your hometown tournament. And the tournament you'd probably gear up for, you said, outside of the slams more than any other. Yeah. And, and I was actually probably a little uneasy about this match. Probably thinking, whew, I was going to be in trouble in this match. Because, I, I mean, he, he had smoked me... I think the last time we played before in Orlando, we had a lot of strange matches where they were one-sided or the other. So I warm up, you know, I'm still not, you know, it's a little cool in the building. I'm not feeling that, you know, like confident. 
And then somehow, I don't know what happened. Somebody tapped the dude on the shoulder and like, next thing you know, for the next, I don't know exact minutes, I'm going to say 55 minutes that the match was, I never came close to serving that well. I mean, I was serving 127, 128. I'm not missing any first serve. I'm hitting aces. I'm hitting, I mean, I literally run through Andre like two and one. And I was almost like a little bit worried that 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 wasn't real. I won't be able to reproduce that again. I mean, but I totally did, you know, play lights out. I remember even Kim said to Andre after the match, she was like, she was a little bit surprised that Andre was looking at her. It was like, yeah, he, that was a bit of a shocker. He, you know, but it was a funny moment, you know, because I was friends with him, but there's no way I could ever play that well. And I never played that well again, but it does happen, but it was unexplainable. Because I think some people would have a performance like that and they would maybe rack their brains over like, what can I do to have that performance again? But for you, it was just like, not even going to think too much about it. Just let, let it, let it be. And then because of like, I never experienced something like that. The next day, I'm playing Killer Cahill in the final. I should never lose to Killer. Don't say he. Yeah, he'll probably say I should say differently, but I hadn't lost to him before. Shots fired, and, and I had. I felt like I had a really good chance to beat him, and I played tight the next day, and I ended up losing my serve the last game of the match. I think it was I served four five in the third forty love, dropped my serve, lose the match, and I believe. God, we got to check. That might have been one of his only ATP titles, but he took me down. But I played so well and the zone the day before. You expect it. And that's the great beauty of tennis. Whether or not you played lousy or you played great, the next day is a whole new chapter. And actually, believe it or not, it was a good learning experience for me because it's like, no, it's not falsified. It's not like, okay, I got to go back to work. I got to prepare. I got to do all the things. I think I didn't do all the things that I normally did because I played so well thinking, you know, maybe I'll just, it'll be easy like that tomorrow. Now, outside of that, you know, once in a lifetime match where you're getting in that complete and utter zone for all the other matches, going to bring it back to, to managing your game. And I think we harped on it a little bit at the start, but managing your game, it, it takes that self-analyzation. It takes that commitment to really step back and and not just go for that initial reaction of when, when you're reflecting on a practice or you're, when you're reflecting on a match, like the first couple things that jumped out, but it really requires a little bit of, of deeper analyzation in, ter- in terms of how you really want to be playing, you know, going forward. What are the best ways to sort of be efficient out there in, in the way that you play and I just think it just takes a little bit of that, that deeper thought process. Buck, this is such a beautiful word for me, manage, and understanding your own strengths and weaknesses and how you're going to compete. I, I love, like, on some of the players that I work with now and helping them discover, too, about how they can maximize their game and how they can learn to, you know, manage a shot that maybe isn't as good or how it could actually become more effective. That's your whole goal is this side. How's it going to be more effective on the balance sheet of playing? And I, I, I really love that. And that's so much for me about tennis, like, and even where I'm at now, 
you know, how I've had to change my game as I've gotten older because I don't move as well. I can't defend as well. I got to do more positive things when I have opportunity from the center of the court. And having an idea so much for getting points started, like I say to a lot of big targets on your serve starting, big targets on your return. The one time you want to do be aggressive you got a short ball in the middle of the court. You have a decent forehand. That's the time. Go ahead. Give it a whack. You know, maybe don't aim for the line. And and maybe early on, tell yourself, you know what? If I get a little stretched, let's see if we can play a little bit of defense. I don't try to overanalyze too much about visualizing I'm going to win, not visualizing I'm going to lose. I visualize managing. And that, to me, is a strength that a lot of players can use to help them play better yeah know your game and a lot of it leads to actually simplifying things out there having that clarity and having that conviction you know going on the court knowing okay this is what i want to do coach shiv god bless him didn't get like this laundry list of things that you needed to do he kept it simple couple of bullet points that you wanted to focus or maybe he'd remind you during the match and then it would, it would key in so quickly. And I think when you're racing and you're competing, you know, sometimes you're not aware that you're doing something. Jeez, I, you know, he goes wide on every big point. And so he, he does, really? Or you, you tend to go up the middle every time. Or you tend to, like, pull the trigger on your backhand every time you're a break point down. Sometimes it's learning to be aware of, of what your tendencies are can make you. And that's, that's a difference so much of winning a sloppy match and how much worse is it to lose the sloppy match see i'm that guy that loves to win the sloppy match i'm really annoyed to lose the sloppy match shiv for sure you know keep it simple and you know what he would always say too back to our q a guy get yourself a Uh, adult beverage get yourself a beer after that good win or even get yourself a beer after the loss but keep the plan simple and you'll wake up tomorrow and go back at it again love that about coach right on hope it helps 